0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. What motivates you? Well, it seems to me that each athlete is motivated by some driving forces that uniquely play to their greatest fears. While the experiences that shaped those fears may be as varied as the individual themselves, common themes definitely can be observed across the board. Get John and Tex's take on motivating factors in this week's conversation. Here it is, episode 596.
1: Hey, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm sitting here with Mr. Chris McQuilkin, aka Tex, and I had a few questions for you. We just got done doing a podcast on Hammer, and I wanted to discuss with you motivation. We're getting ready to do this Hammer 90, and I wanted to just kind of do a little bit of a deep dive into motivation. Uh I feel like there's probably so many disgusting podcasts on motivation where people are just like you just got to grind you got to you know sleep zero hours you know you got to grind so hard that your side hustle becomes your main hustle then you got to start another side hustle just to keep your main hustle from eating your side hustle because you're motivated I mean the Gary V's I mean uh, you listen to the rock I mean everybody's got some take on motivation in this piece how do you stay motivated?
0: Very good question, John. Uh, I'm very active in my community, especially with athletics. So it's easy to stay motivated because I have the, the fountain of youth in front ah. of me. And I jump into the sprinting. And when I demonstrate any movement, here's the kicker. They don't necessarily listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. They mimic to the best of their ability what I'm executing. So I have to go full speed. And I've entered the age range in which it's Achilles tendon tear. Oh, you are in the danger zone. uh, Danger zone. So if I were to slack in my training, then there's the risk of not only falling on my face in front of my athletes or two, like some serious rehab that I want no part of. Well,
1: just to dissect this a little bit, we have a few themes here. One is people are never going to remember what you say. You're going to remember how you make them feel, Mm -hmm. which is another Amazing motivational quote. And the other big one is the powerful motivator called shame. <laughs> you like I to pull that out. I, I've been saying this for years. Shame is by far your best friend and the greatest form of motivation. You going out and sprinting and doing change of direction and movement stuff with a bunch of kids in jeans. In jeans, who will openly shame you. Well, oh, not yeah. to your face, just on social media and other weird TikTok ways. Uh, but the 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 personal feeling that you have for being able to want to impress them and more importantly have them be like wow this guy's pretty switched on like there's a an element of shame and pride and ego which i think uh you know we've been saying like ego's real dangerous. you got to have pride in who you are and i think the fact that you come in and train every day and you're consistent in it is because if you don't you're gonna fuck yourself up because you're out there trying to impress a bunch of 14 year
0: olds Uh uh-huh and this has happened and the, the movement in which I pulled my groin, <laughs> it was a horizontal row. So, imagine a supine row. Sure. But to bring the, the, the team together, it's always a, and I'm going to use this touch point. So, I want the kids was to Was this like, in the weight room or what was this? This one? was in the weight room. This was a number of years ago when I was at the, the high school in D.C. But a touch point, like get the kids like hands on. So, manual resistance stuff. This one was imagine I'm in a, a supine row uh eyes to the sky i'm holding on to aka supine yeah okay. holding on to rings hanging from a squat rack and then Pecker i to the heavens hand my heels to an athlete and then they hold mm-hmm. but then my job is to ad duct so squeeze my heels together classic and crush
1: across a football
0: exactly crush the teammates hips yeah so then i had a demonstration and i was using my words and like putting some some energy to it some like boxy some gump yeah and i was demoing the row like yeah you got to hold here yeah. and then you got to crush their hips and when i said crush i like went for squeezing my heels on and the athlete's hips Hold your adductor <laughs> yeah <laughs> but nice i didn't show face like oh my god it hurt like a motherfucker but then i held my hands and continued the demonstration and then got everybody going and then internally was like oh my god i just What an idiot. I just pulled my groin like trying to. Well, that's uh, but that's
1: real life teaching you, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, that's uh, dude. Like so for me, uh, people always ask like, uh, you know, I mean, like the amount of like motivational stuff on 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 social media is just almost like blinding. Uh, I go back to two things. One is I thought I created this, but Jordan Peterson obviously beat me to it. Uh, in his, uh, you know, in his uh, 12 laws, 12, 12 rules to live by. One of them is uh, you can't compare yourself to anybody else. You can only compare yourself to the person who you, who you were. So mm-hmm. who were you a year ago? Um, and the reason being is everybody's working with a different framework. You know, uh, um, if you start comparing yourself to somebody, we see it all the time in social media, right? Like something like you post somebody and some guy will be like, how tall are you? And you're like, why are you trying to Trying to judge. I never get that. Actually. Uh, Paul Carter told me whenever he posts something, he gets DM after DM of like, how tall are you? And I'm I, I and, and uh, I, Paul's relatively tall. I think what? Five nine. Oh, taller than I. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he, I mean, everybody's short. <laughs> name, so I just assume everybody's short. Uh, but I think all too often we get stuck in this idea that we're, you know, in this constant rat race with other people. And at the end of the day, the only person you're competing with is who you were. And that's why I think it's so interesting when you start thinking like we're doing here with the, with the hammer 90 challenge, like I'm, I'm not interested in like what you're doing, what anybody else is doing. I'm interested in who you were, you know, from point a now all of a sudden 90 days later who you've become. And if you can put a simple framework together to allow people to be the best versions of themselves uh, all too often in these training programs, people want to compare themselves on the, on the leaderboard to this guy and this guy. And I, I always think it's a fool's errand. If anything, you need to compare yourself to who you were in the beginning and where you are periodically within this. And, and the reason being is you don't know what anybody else is working with. You don't know what their environment is. You don't know what they're doing. And so it becomes just, uh, like I said, a fool's errand to start comparing yourself to other people. Now, in the NFL, it was different. Uh, we were you know actively compared to other people. This guy's better than this guy with ranking. But at the end of the day, in real life, it's not, it's not acceptable. Um, the other one, too, uh, there was a quote and I, I had it on my wall for a number of years. So I should still probably put it back up, but it was Aristotle he said, we are, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence therefore is not an act, but a habit. Mm-hmm. And so when people ask me like, how do you have motivation? Um, my motivation is already set because this is what we do, right? We get up every morning, right? Like, I mean, my, my routine is what saves me. Uh, you know, we've, you know, the, the other one where it's like, um, you hear people being like, you know, start giving you excuses. And my first thing is, like, build the life that you want to live or that allows you to meet your goals. So uh, gym shutdown, we didn't notice because we had a garage gym, mm-hmm. you know, pretty big building full of equipment. But at the end of the day, uh, I never want somebody to tell me what I can and can't do in my own weight room. And I want to have the equipment that I want to have. And I want to have a good training environment. And that didn't look like it was happening at a commercial gym. I know this because I owned a gym for a number of years. Right. And uh, I wanted my own space with my own equipment. I wanted to keep everything nice and I wanted it accessible, but all too often I think people get out of a routine and I think what you have to do is you have to, you know, uh, you know, like, um, I mean, and, and what's wild too is it's the older I get, the more I realize that that routine is what saves us. If this is just what you do, then that becomes a part of your life. Um, I asked my brother about it. Uh, cause we, you know, he, he went through an injury. He actually ruptured his quadriceps tendon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he goes to the gym every day and he still trains. All he did was he just pivoted his rehab into his training. And so now he goes to a place where he goes and does his rehab and they do his training. He's like, it's the same thing. It's, it's what I've always done. We've always trained. It's always been a part of it. I just go to a different place now until I get better and I'll go back to the other place. And he has to be a little bit smarter. Uh, he ended up building a garage gym. Badass. So we went through and did a bunch of stuff and like it was cool to go in. And uh, when I was there, he, he ordered a new trap bar. So, um, when he asked me, he's like, what do you think about pulling deadlifts? I'm like, I like a trap bar, especially for you because it allows, uh, for his knee for us to set different heights, you know, cause of the body position from the trap bar being uh-huh. within the center of gravity. So the position is more like a squat, the loading. And when I did my patellar tendon rehab, I actually used a trap bar. I like, I don't think I back squatted geez, almost for nine months. The majority of stuff I did was all kind of single leg, unilateral Bulgarian split squat, Uh, single leg, leg press and trap bar was really my heavy X hinge. And the reason being was I could control the depth. So if the knee was feeling tight, I would set the, uh, the weights at different heights and, you know, and and it got to the point where I ended up putting just a whole
0: bunch of 25s on there and trying to get as much as low as I can. Uh, on that note with, with the injury you just introduced for yourself back then you had an external, so we're going to get into internal and external motivators, You had an external motivator that turned internal. A doctor said to you in front of your parents, no one's ever come back from this before. Yeah. But you were able to internalize that. So, like, uh, I mean, speak to that. Like, how often was that thought of that doctor's words in your mind? You still tell that story today. And here we are, I mean, 20 years later, Mm -hmm. 23, 22 years later. And it feels like just yesterday. So it's still, it's so there, it's so there for you. So man, speak to that during the, the, the nine month training, uh, rehab process, those words, cause it's still there, man. Yeah, no. Um, I remember when the doctor
1: came in and um, I'm looking down at my kneecap and it was three inches too right or, uh, too far to the left or no, I'm sorry. It was my left knee. So it was too far to the right and and it was sitting up high on my knee. And, uh, I like knew my kneecap was in the wrong place. And uh, the doctor comes in and, like, I'd never heard anybody rupturing a patellar tendon. He's like, hey, you ruptured your patellar tendon. Uh, And for those of you guys that don't know, uh, tendons connect muscles to bone. And ligaments collect, you know, bone to bone. bone. So, uh, you know, my kneecap, really, I mean, like, without a patellar tendon, you're bending your knee. So when the doctor came in and said, hey, we've never had anybody come back from a mid-patellar rupture, uh, that was, like, that was a dark moment. Because, I mean, you know, obviously at the time I trusted doctors. Uh, I'm a little less trusting now because I've seen them, you know, make comments like this and come back in against it. And uh, I remember, um, you know, the surgery was pretty invasive and they gave me a bunch of like Oxycontins. So I took those the first day. The problem is I'm super sensitive to painkillers. So like I just felt so sick and lethargic. I couldn't go number two, which was a huge problem. So uh, I (laughs) took them. And I was like, the pain's going to be terrible. I just put them in the toilet. I just threw them down the toilet and kill the fishes. But I remember it took it like, and then all of a sudden the pain set in. And I was like, man, I can, you know, kind of get through this uh, with the idea that I don't like the feeling of being backed up. Like, that's a terrible feeling. Like, I know some people don't mind being constipated, and that's not a good feeling for me. And uh, I knew that the painkillers caused constipation, so I got rid of them. It took me about two days for everything to normalize, and I could deal with the pain if I could go, you know, and everything was working fine. All of a sudden, after about, you know, a week or two of the pain started subsiding and uh, I laid in bed for three weeks. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the rehab process starts and you're kind of in this kind of down, um, like, you know, kind of down to the dumps. Woe is me? And uh, that lasted for most of the season because I was, you know, I was alone in a dark place. And the guys that I was buddies with who were playing football, had no time for me. You know, they wanted me to come in after everybody had already gone to meetings. So I was kind of sequestered from the team and it was just a dark time, you know, rookie in the NFL. I'm from California. I'm living in Philly. I don't know anybody. I'm living downtown. It's dark. It's it's cold. And uh, everybody looks like they're kicking ass and I'm hurt. And um, it was extremely depressing. And uh, I read a lot. Um, You know, I mean, this is pretty much pre-internet, so there was no social media or nothing. I mean, uh, so I, I just read a ton and. I started devising this game plan in my head, like football's over, right? I mean, I pretty much wrote off football, but I, uh, was knowing like, Hey, I I got at least another year in this. Um, I need to at least try to come back and prove to myself I can do it. But the game plan was to go to law school. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to rehab. And my entire goal was that I didn't want to walk with a limp. So what happens when you're on crutches, people are always like, Oh, what went wrong? What happened? And I tell them, and then everybody launches into this story about either themselves or somebody they know that had a knee injury that never was right again. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, "Oh, you, did, oh, you know, my my uh, my buddy tore his ACL, was never right again. Oh, I did this, was never right again." Everybody always wants to tell you these negative stories because it's like it's almost like the crab in the in the bucket. Um, and it was fucking incredible to me that I'm like, not not a single person came over to me and was like, "Dude, you'll be fine." I had a buddy hurt their knee. Uh, they came back and they were 110%. Nobody ever told me that story. So you start kind of believing them. And it just kind of got dark. And then all of a sudden it got cold. And I remember uh, I would like crutch down to this bar down on Walnut Street. Uh, it was like an Irish bar and sit there and just read a magazine or a newspaper and drink a beer and just kind of watch the games and hang out. And uh, I just remember like thinking like, like, what's my game plan? And I remember on a bar napkin, I wish I still had it, but I wrote down and I was like, you know, number one get healthy. Number two, walk without a limp. Number three, you know, uh, let the chips fall where they may. Number four, get ready to go to law school. So my thought was that I would rehab, go to training camp, give it the one try, get cut. And then at that point, just go back and start my life. And, um, all of a sudden, like, as the training like went, like they, um, like, I remember the season ended. And I went home, went back to California for a little bit and I kind of told my parents what I'd planned and they were like, you know, whatever you want to do. And then they uh, required that I show up for rehab like the day after the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl was on a Sunday, Monday. I had to be in Philly for rehab. And so none of the the players really come back till March. So I was there by myself from like, I mean, this is when the Super Bowl was like mid-January. So I was there like mid-January, end of January, all the way through and nobody came back till like March. You know like after the draft like that that first deal was in march and that's when really everything starts well actually i'm sorry the draft's later on combine yeah i'm sorry the combine so i mean there was two months where i was all by myself and uh i just started training and i remember my training wasn't going real well um i couldn't get any strength in the knee i was kind of freaking out a little bit uh we ended up um you know, flying out to Colorado to go see, get a second opinion. And the doctor who was Dr. Stedman made a, made an interesting comment. He's like, you know, it's nerves. We don't know when they're going to rewire, but when they do, you'll know. And then I ended up getting hooked up with Charlie Francis and like, it was just kind of a, a weird thing. And then all of a sudden I started using the EMS devices. I just kind of changed up the training and then all of a sudden something rewired. And I remember uh, I had been doing like single leg press and it was like 90 pounds on there. It was all I could get and then all of a sudden, one day I came in and I was like, it was kind of light. And I was like, put more weight on 135, put more weight on 185. And I went up to like 210 and all of a sudden started kind of training. And it was weird. Like it kind of was this like button my head up against the wall. But I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I, this is why I was living there. I had no family and no friends, no girlfriend. I mean, my girlfriend was back in, uh, in home and I just had nothing else to do. And they were paying me to rehab and it was part of required. So I just had to show up every day. Mm -hmm. and uh, every day I came in and like I could see the look on the trainer's faces like this dude's not fucking turning the corner. He's not turning the corner and I had nothing else to do. So I would go in, I would lift weights, I would go eat, go back and lift weights and then I would go home eat. And then I would go to the gym down the street and lift some weights. And, um, all of a sudden one day everything kind of started wiring up and I started pushing and I remember, uh, I left and I was pretty excited and I remember I called my brother Eddie and who's always been like the, like the rock in my life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was like, dude, I, I made progress today. Because, I mean, every time I call him, he's like, how's it going? I'm like, fuck, man. It's like stale, stale, stale. And uh, I remember I went home and I was pretty excited. And I went to bed and I woke up. And, dude, I remember this is still funny. Like, do you remember when, uh, uh, was it in Rocky 3? When uh, when he's like, "I'm you know, I, I can't remember what Rocky was. When he's like, get up, you son of a bitch. Mickey loves you. Like that whole thing. Yeah, 3. Yeah, in Rocky 3. Like, I had that same kind of moment where I was laying there in bed and, like, I, something kind of kicked me in the pants and was like, Get up, you son of a bitch. You got work to do. And I kind of had that mentality. And I went in and it was like, it, it was so defeating to go in and train every day and not make any progress. Like, it wasn't making any, it was fucking stale. And I just had this idea that, like, eventually something's got to give. Either I'm going to break or it's going to break. And all of a sudden, my body at some point rewired. And next thing I you know, all of a sudden, it wasn't like I was making, like, incremental gains I was making fucking like quantum leap games and all of a sudden I was like fucking everything was just kind of wiring up and I just hit my stride and the training was good and it was like it was Spartan it was dingy we were training in a broom closet in Philadelphia fucking Mike Wolf and uh, Tommy Canady were there and they were fucking literally had their full attention and they were like either you're gonna fucking quit or we're gonna break you and it was fucking epic and I came back and started you know 16 games that next year so I think that quote from Aristotle uh, like, just saved me in that it was like excellence is just – it's not an act. It's a habit. If you consistently get up and you work hard each day, good things happen. And I think all too often there's this idea that you know somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder and magic's going to happen and you're going to be this Gary Vee guy where it's like you know find a bush, you're going to be CEO of the bush, and next thing that bush is going to be a you know, trillion-dollar bush and you're going to be fine. It doesn't fucking exist. Like. What I think Gary Vee all too often forgets, and he does, I mean, you, you hear him talk about, you know, all these different hacks, whatever, but the one, one thing that he always promotes and everybody promotes that's ever been successful is consistency. Mm -hmm. If you get up every day and, um, you know, like the, uh, the, the, one I've always been fascinated with, and maybe this goes back to the, um, the source book that we read where, you know, what, what you envision becomes a reality. Dr. Tara Swart. Dr. Tara Swart what we do becomes our about, uh, becomes a reality. And I think that there's some real benefits of that. If you can visualize it, is it so much that like, if this is who I want to be, I can become that individual. And I think the, the biggest thing is you got to get up and see it every day. You have to be consistent, like nothing, like no, nobody's consistent just doing it once. And you know, whether it be, um, you know, whenever we see incredible athletes, what we don't see, like we see the moment where they shine, we don't see the 20 years of work leading up to it. Um, you know, we, you know, you get to see a guy like one of my favorites is the, the jet Bezos on a yacht. And then they show the picture of him, like in like a one car garage with like a handmade Amazon sign sitting by himself with like, you know, he's bald, obviously he shaved his head and he looks way fucking cooler now, but just like sitting there in like a Brown crappy suit driving in his fucking Hondo accord. And he had a vision and he was consistent. Mm-hmm. His parents believed in him. They invested money and he grew it into the biggest company on the planet. Like to me, like, he hit a lot of pieces, but dude, I mean, think about how many days that guy was like, fuck, this is, is today the day I give up.
0: Yeah. So w- Well, on that, and then just to to bring in like the those external factors, I mean, that's where I feel people are constantly seeking. And that's why they go to the YouTube and type in motivation. That's why I like these compilations of Les Mills and David Goggins in The Rock, uh all these dudes are are piece together is because they're looking for that external piece
1: but like like i I understand i i enjoy those as as much as anybody i mean like i like i um i told this yesterday so uh um we're getting some concrete poured up at at our building we're trying to like finally finish out the apron and the guy that came to pour it you know poured our slab and he's done a bunch of work for me and i consider us friends and uh, I was like, yeah, man, what's going on? He's like, oh, man, we've been busting ass. We, uh, uh, we built a, a big uh, RV park and and uh, air-conditioned storage out in Blanco, kind of that area out there. And it's going to be like it's on acres. And he was taking me through. And he's like, fuck, it's been a lot of work. And he's like, but it's finally like, you know, it's paying the note. And he kind of explained everything. And I was like, fuck, man, that's awesome. Congratulations. I love hearing about people's successes. I love hearing people win, especially when you go all in and you take this gamble and you don't know if it's going to pay off and when it finally does. He's like, man, there was, you know, like I've gained some weight because I've been eating myself nervous. And uh, I was like, yo, yeah, man, like y- you've had the ability to like be able to not only execute this stuff, but the ability to win. And I, I love hearing people's victories. I think all too often in life, everybody's waiting for everybody else to fail because it allows them to feel better about their failures. And but that's that, that's the interesting piece. And that's why I've always said and like it's so cool that Jordan Peterson wrote that is that the only person I can compare myself to is the older version of myself or the younger version of myself, who I was a year ago, who I was five years ago. And I think all too often, when we start comparing ourselves to other people, it's a fool's errand. It just doesn't work. And so I think for you as an individual, what I'm searching for is growth. And the secret to growth is consistency and basically putting something in play that becomes the habit. And I know it's so easy to say it, but, like, doing the little things, like, what what is it? Do, uh, do the common things uncommonly well. Mm-hmm. You know, if, like, the training is important, if work's important, if marriage is important or whatever it is, fostering, developing relationships, whatever you want to do, I think you have to put that at the top of, you know, on your bar napkin. When you write number one, you have to decide, you know, the age-old Billy Crystal. Find that one thing. Well, what is it? I don't know. It's different for everybody. But find that bar napkin. Put it at the top. And then consistently go and execute that and don't give up. And I mean, have that relentless pursuit.
0: Yes. And with, with in line with the bar napkin and a trap that people, if they're seeking external motivations, the trap that they commonly fall into, what are the first goals that they write? It is, it's outcome goals. So it's, I want to lose 30 pounds. And once you do hit that, accomplish that goal. So you lost the 30 pounds, then you have a, a moment of then what? And lost and you have to continuing to seek this external external which could potentially fall into the trap of well comparing yourselves to other people rather than the internal and the process so you aimed and through your explanation of that it was the process of okay i have this outcome that's never been accomplished before how am i going to climb that mountain well one day at a time first it's 90 pounds then it's 95 and so on. But until it was not until it was 95, it was 90 and showing up every single day. So it was part of the process. And then fortunately, you had dudes like Navy that that were on your side and you created. Uh, I mean, maybe it was empowered. Maybe it was created. Maybe it was through a life of, you know, with with your brothers and your father and and mother. Awesome mom. An identity was built. And those coaches were able to feed into that identity and help really internalize it. So then it was, you became the process. You became John Wellborn, not John Wellborn, the football player. You became John Wellborn. And so you put your stamp on all of your actions, whether it was rehab, whether it was showing up in every single play in OTAs. That's a whole other awesome story that we can get into or not. But it was assigning your name to everything that then became... Just who you are, all the actions. And now you still live that to this day as, as a retired now CEO and founder of Power Athlete and father, you still show up and bang weights every day. You don't have to, but you do.
1: Well, yeah. Do you know why? Do you know, do you know how weird it feels if I don't train? And like, and, and what's wild is even if I miss in the morning, I'll go up there and I still try to do everything, something in the afternoon because it's, uh, it's really been the foundation. Like, um, and I know this is so strange, uh, but. When I was a uh, uh, skinny, you know, 13, 14-year-old, even younger than that, I've, I've told you the story about why I wanted to lift weights, didn't I? Uh, Without Al, Lal Alzado. Did I tell you that one? When we yes. were at the beach? And uh, we were at Junior Lifeguards. And we saw, like, literally it looked like a, a riot. And we like, went over because we thought that there was, like, a fight or something. And we see this dude walking down the boardwalk. And, like, this dude walks by and he's, like, wearing a gold chain. He's got, like, a string tank top and kind of short, short, like, bike shorts on. The dude was sh- massively, massively fucking jacked, tan, fucking huge chest. And I remember thinking, like, holy shit, like, I want to lift weights. Mm-hmm. And uh, that guy was Lyle Alzado. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, dude who, if you guys want to Google him, I mean, played for the Raiders, was just, lived in our town, and he was just strolling on the beach, uh, walking on the boardwalk on a, on a Tuesday at, like, 10 in the morning. And, uh, you know, physically enough to inspire uh, you know, a kid to want to lift weights, and then I ended up meeting him years later. He was a total fucking asshole, but uh, you know, good football player. I mean, uh, you know, like just one of like the you know, the quintessential Oakland Raider guys. But uh, man, just an impressive dude. Yeah, and uh, you know, but that's something that's always, uh, you know, if you go look at Henry Rollins, any of his stuff, and you know, every cross the gym we worked into had the you know, two hundred pounds is two hundred pounds. But there's something. Uh, unforgiving about the weights and the training because it, it has no memory right like it, it's not like i you know benched 400 pounds and i walk in there and i put 400 pounds and the 400 pounds looks over it goes oh john's done me before you know we should be easy on him no fucking the i mean if you think about the henry rollins quote 200 pounds is 200 pounds because it will always be heavy and mm-hmm. if you don't pay it it's respect it'll fucking bite you in the ass if you're not consistent in going out there and fighting it And I think uh, the struggle of training and lifting weights and, you know, hammering your body into something that you're proud of, um, you know, has been a a constant work of art. And there's always an idea. And I think it's funny because all too often people are like, oh, I'm past my prime. I look at a dude like The Rock and I'm like, shit, my best years are in front of me. If The Rock can be that good in shape at 50, I can be in better shape than I was. So I think that that piece is important. But, you know, I mean, um, the motivation to... You know, man, it's it's uh, like Seneca made an interesting quote. Um, you know, as you guys know, I'm a, um, even though it's become very fashionable to, to quote Stoics these days. I mean, this was what I, you know, this was my, my major in college. Right. But he did make an interesting point about like how each day is its own life. So like when you wake up each day, imagine that you're not living an entire life. But imagine each day from sunrise to sunset is, is, is one lifetime and you have the opportunity to live thousands of lifetimes. Mm -hmm. If you're judged on each day as, as a life, you know, uh, like how would you live each life? How do you want to be remembered? And you know, the idea of, you know, greatness echoes through eternity. So the bigger rock that you splash, you know, I mean, look at all these incredible thinkers, look at these people that have been so pivotal in this world that will be remembered for thousands of years. And what's even more interesting now with the advent of technology and podcasts and you know digital and all this think about how many incredible thinkers right
0: like i mean will will never be remembered that's unfortunate however you as an individual you still have your network and your opportunity so this is this is why we gave a presentation at the old seminar of coaches responsibility yeah. and we still speak to some negative experiences that we had with sport coaches but also positive experiences, as you mentioned, Canavy before. And that's what the importance that every single rep, every single practice, every single training session, every single day that you have responsibility with someone else where their performance is in your hands matters. Yeah. So the the unfortunate reality, whether it's fitness or strength and conditioning, like it's break a lot of eggs to make an omelet. It wasn't my program. It was the athlete fault. It's your fault. Sure why this didn't work so that's yeah that really uh boils my bloods the people that don't take this personal responsibility to be the coach they want coaching them and i mean provide we do our due diligence to provide the best direction and aim and advice and guidance and training programs as we can but then there's other flashes in the pan
1: well so what's we're cool, competing against yeah i mean at the end of the day like i said i don't compete against anybody other than ourselves Um, the information that we put out, um, I know it's good. And, uh, we have, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to be distracted by bright, shiny lights or this. And at the end of the day, consistency is, is what gets done. And I realized that listening to a podcast where some guy gets in there, he talks about, you know, consistency and effort and, and, uh, being stalwart and just keep fucking putting your shoulder against the door while the wind is blowing and not giving up is the secret to success. I wish I had some fucking life hack. Um, Uh, My life hack is consistency. Just wake up every day and do the uncommon or the common things uncommonly. Well, I had to find a quote because it was so good for Marcus Aurelius's meditations is suppose that a God announced that you were going to die tomorrow or the day after Unless you were a complete coward. You wouldn't kick up a fuss about which day it was. What difference could it make now recognize that the difference between years from now and tomorrow is just as small. So, I mean, the idea that, uh, like, if every day is, you know, and, and I fucking also hate these motivational, like live every day like it's your last. Like nobody fucking lives like that. And, you know, if you did, uh, you wouldn't live in a house. You'd probably sell everything and fucking travel. Because if you told me that that if the world was ending in a week, um, you know, would I pack everything up and fly to, you know, want to be standing in the Roman Colosseum when the whole thing went up? I don't know. No, I'd be exactly where I am right here with my family. Probably cooking an amazing steak and drinking a bunch of those wines we've been saving. You know, that's another thing. You know, look at all the cool wines we've collected. How come we do not drink them more often? Shouldn't we drink every amazing wine because we don't know if we're going to get them to drink them tomorrow?
0: You know. Well, when I come over, Kate pulls out the bottles I gifted, and just yeah, we got to get rid of these. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, we actually use the ones you gifted when we cook. So when I do uh, uh, when I do my uh, my dope. Uh, so when I did those filets that were soaked in uh, in in, um, in cloth. So did did I tell you about that? I sent you the video.
0: Uh, it must have been an amazing meal. I missed it. Ah, oh, my invitation got lost, uh, lost in the mail. mail. <laughs>
1: All right, so we did it on New Year's. Uh, I got these big, like these big tenderloin uh, like pieces, and I cut them up. And there was a deal where the guy had soaked uh, like um like a um, a dishcloth in wine, and then he pretty much opened it up, just coated it in salt, and then tied it up, and then put it right on the coals to cook it. Nine minutes aside, it came out. Like, it was unreal. Like, we had people there who I didn't know, like, uh, friends of, like, the girl, you know, ride people, bar yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And they, the one dude was like, I've traveled a lot, and that might be the best steak I've ever had. And I'm like, I don't know if you're lying to me, but I'll take it. Um, but the idea that, uh, you know, like, you never know when your last day. And, and this, today's kind of impactful. Like, my dad passed away, was was uh, four years ago, February 28th. And, um, you know, I think about the fact that... You know, people live with this idea that they're going to live forever. And then one day you don't and it ends and you never want to be on your deathbed and feel like if only I had another day. And I know this is so cheesy and the motivation stuff, because, you know, like at the end of the day, nobody lives a life like it's going to end. You know, we don't. I mean, it's, it's just human nature. If we did, we would probably wake up every morning and say the things we always wanted to say, live the life, you know, like it just. And then we would realize, too, that a lot of the stuff that we chase is meaningless bullshit. Like on my dad's final day, it's not as if he's like, man, I wish I had a bigger Rolex. Like he didn't talk about his suits or the fact that his, I mean, all he wanted to do was talk about all the fun times we had as a family. And the, you know, all the years we went skiing in Mammoth and did this and all the things that he saw that he wanted us to do with them. And so I think all too often, um, the things that we, that we think matter at this, at the most important moments aren't the ones that matter. And I think the relationships and the, the times you have and the meals and the fun and the laughing and the trips, like, like those are the things we remember. Like we're getting ready to go out and do a and road trip where we're going to the Olympia. No, the Arnold. I, mean, I always get them confused. But we're going to Columbus. We're going to get a chance to chop it up with Louis Simmons. We're going to, to see Jim Wendler. We're going to do some podcasts. Uh, we're going to get to go see a really you know interesting part of the world um, and a really interesting time because I always find like the bodybuilding culture so fascinating. So I'm excited to go. and.
0: Well, and, we also will be presenting on athleticism. That's true. We are Arnold presenting. education. Yep. Which I think is, is fun because
1: we get a whole bunch of uh, access to a bunch of people that have probably never heard of Power Athlete and maybe never heard of Power Athlete Radio. But – Uh, at the end of the day, like, like what motivates me to continue to do what I'm doing? I think it's because there's so many people out there that are doing a shitty job. And I don't say that because we're casting stones, but I think there's just a lot of bullshit out there. It's the reason that, you know, I mean, one of the fundamental aspects of this podcast and power athletes always been about battle the bullshit. And I'm sure there's, somebody out there who can fucking cast a stone at us. But at the end of the day, being able to provide good information to people and make it easily accessible and digestible and lead them on this journey so that they can become better versions of themselves. I think is at the end. I mean, I don't think we can ask ourselves to do anymore.
0: No. And still, still aiming to figure it out. And that's, that's why I continue to coach. I mentioned the community earlier and I was explaining movement and coaching. Basically the breakdown of coaching that we assign in the the trainer's course that we got, define movement, model movement, shape movement, and reinforce. And defining, imagine like in the the world of sport, if I'm defining it like this is this is our scheme or this is our formation. And then we provide the the model, and I can draw it up X's and O's, like the old school whiteboard, football, or chalkboard right on, and then we we provide our movement, our athletes the opportunity to move shape a go run the play based off what we talk about. And then we got to run it again. And I provide some coaching direction. We're trying to shape it in. So it's picture perfect as if it was, you know, taken from uh, another professional athlete's film or, you know, perfectly drawn lines on the chalkboard. And if it's good, reinforce it. Awesome. We can move on. If it's not like we're staying with it and shaping. And then I was explaining this, but then had the the epiphany, like later on following the conversation last night, that this also carries over to, to leadership, to being a good teammate. So we as coaches and leaders or seniors and captains need to define exactly what a good teammate is. What are my expectations of the freshmen? I can't assume. And that's the other thing. Like these, these older kids assume that these kids, freshmen will just fall in line. This is the culture. No, they need mentorship like from a coach as much as they do a, a senior what, captain. Uh, so, uh, w- w- like in in your
1: mind, like what when does intrinsic motivation come over? Because I I like this is an interesting piece for like the kids that you're working with. Yeah, like like, like you said, like mentors. You, you have this extrinsic like uh, you know external forces you know mentoring these kids. At which point do you see that switch from when like the coach and the players believe in me to like I believe
0: in me? Right on the so with the the youth. The boys, anyway, like it's when playing grab ass, and so I'm going to play this sport because my friends play the sport, mm-hmm. and like practices, play time starts to switch gears and realize that I'm progressing. I'm actually pretty good. So when you transition from grab ass to good, that's when the intrinsic motivation, and I mean skill work. I, I'm going to reference lacrosse, but it works for anything. Like the more I pass and throw. Or if I'm a wide receiver, run routes. Lacrosse is simple catch, catch and throw, catch and throw. So I got to catch and throw and read the defense and be where I got to be and tell my teammates. So it's complicated sport as all are. But then I have the ability to, and we go through our power athlete, like what we represent competency in. I stop thinking about where my hands are on my stick. And I start thinking about where my teammate is up the field. So I start to get good at my sport and not all. It doesn't happen to everyone. Like there's goofy kids that are juniors and seniors and will go on and say, Hey, you know, 10 years ago, I played high school lacrosse. Then there's kids that, yeah, 10 years ago, I was the captain of my team. We went this far in the playoffs and then it provided me the opportunity to go play college or sure. get into a school that, you know, would have me. So it's, it's, it is a switch. It is a moment. And like, as much as we wanted as coaches to accelerate, it's got to happen on their own. But the best we can do is provide them the opportunity. So I love warm ups. As we all know, if we're listening to Power Athlete Radio for a long time, it's having the kids lead the count. Yeah. So saying, all right, freshmen, you're five squats, five four count push ups on you, ready, ready. And then they have to awkwardly scream one, two, three, one, and, and have their moment to lead. It's going to suck. They feel tension that all eyes are on them but it's good for them long term and then the same with a demo if we're demoing you know uh starfish or lateral step catch anything just pick a random kid put them in the middle and have them demo for the whole team so then they feel the pressure of all eyes are on me and I have to execute I have to listen to coach uh, and then they are the model of the movement and then I shape them they don't do it perfectly I shape them in front of everyone to show like, Hey, not everyone's perfect. And then reinforce like, Hey, thank you for standing up. Let's get back to our drill or everybody go like, sure. So it's, it's aiming to utilize this, to put them, put all eyes on them to realize it's not that bad or have them speak or have them speak and realize like, this is not that bad. So it's aiming to accomplish that. I mean, we'll see if it carries over long term. If, uh, I don't know, but doing my damnedest for that re- reverberation.
1: Well, I, I think, um, so this is the interesting thing about being a coach or a father, um, for those of you guys that are both and whatnot, you have the ability to see the, the past in the future, right? Like, I mean, like, uh, I think as a, as a father, I can see where I came from and the path to success and for your kids, there's this idea that you want to lay it out for them and kind of help them along it. But then you have to realize I have to let them walk their own path. I mean, I can just provide the opportunity, Uh, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, I can't get in there and do it for you. So all you have to do is provide the opportunity. And I think all too often as a coach or as a parent, you can see this, like you can see the future. If only you did this, this could happen. And I'm sure for you as a lacrosse coach, you know, having played it, uh, you know, in, in a collegiate level and you've seen these kids progress, you have the ability to be like, hey, man, you've got some really good skills. If you could just work harder, you might be able to translate this into something else. Because here's the deal. And my, my, my brother put it great the other day uh, when we were at home We went to my, uh, my nephew's baseball game. And so my brother was talking to him. I mean, he's a sophomore, pretty good player. And uh, he was, like, asking my brother um, and me, he's like, you know, like, he, like, like how long should I play? And uh, my brother said, as long as you can. Because one day, you're going to be a spectator. And it sucks to be a spectator. Play the game. He's like, you know, look, he goes, I, I got to play through college. Uh, your Uncle John got to play, you know, for a decade in the NFL. And even when it ended for him, he didn't. He wasn't ready for it to end. Can you imagine if your career in terms of sporting and playing like this ends in high school? It's like, you don't want it to play as long as you can, because once it ends, that's the finality of it. So continue to play. And and, uh, Luke's super smart. Like he does. He has great grades. Uh, He's like a sophomore and like, you know, taking like five AP classes and doing all this wild stuff that I probably never did. Um, But he's got a great opportunity. And my thing was like, like the only thing that is universal for for. And I told him this. I'm like, dude, you're your father's son. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a hell of a statement because my brother Eddie is one of the hardest workers and one of the most successful people I know. And I was like, you come from that, like naturally, um, all you have to do is work hard and apply yourself and good things will happen. I mean, just cause it's like, that's the natural recipe for it. Like just do the hard work, continue to train, do everything, wake up early, just, just, just apply yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he will, and he'll, I mean, he's super conscientious. But it was just funny when my brother said, he's like, as long as you can, because one day when it ends and you've got to be a spectator, it sucks. So I think as a coach, you're sitting there working with these kids and you're like, you know, you have the ability to go on and maybe play. And maybe if it's at a division two or a division three school, as long as you're continuing to play and the ball's and you know, and the ball's flying, you're having a good time because one day it's going to end and you're going to look back and that's how you're going to take count of this thing. So, I mean, even with my, you know, with my kids, You know, there's, you know, they're young, like do everything, play every sport, enjoy it, find, find what you want, because there's only a certain point in your life where you get to do this stuff. At some point, the real world starts and you don't get to do this stuff and play a game for a living. So I think the motivation piece of, you know, like it's hard to, and and some kids grasp it at at a young age, that greatness is within a, a, you know, within striking, or they can reach for the ring and be great. And we see people do that all the time, but I think. You know, that kind of blind dedication to continue to kind of move forward and without knowing how good you're going to be. I mean, when I started lifting weights, uh, like I knew my brothers were pretty big. I didn't know how it would go. Um, I got a scholarship to go to college. I showed up. I didn't know how far I would go. I got injured. I didn't know if this would be the end of it. I mean, my brother Rob tore his ACL and never wanted to play football again. I tore my ACL and was like, "Fuck! Like this won't define me. I tore my patellar tendon. This won't define me. Uh, And I think that's a piece of just blind dedication and more importantly stupidity just like like my dogs outside playing like one of them like they're not going to give up until one of them passes out and i think if you have that game in you and you have that like that drive to be great i think you just have to apply it and um, it's uh, a it's a hard thing like like this is an interesting piece for kids like because they don't have the historical data of, of information of wins and losses and, you know, love and lost in this and people, you know, like passing away, like, you know, sitting there and reminiscing with the kids about my grand or about my dad and their grandfather, you know, they're like, Oh, we miss him, but they don't, they miss him because they had such a short time with him. And I was trying to explain it like all this, you know, I miss him because he was, so you know, I mean, he was my dad. He's a, a function of my life. You know, we have him up on the wall over here. I mean, so, um, man, uh, then the other piece too, I think about all too often is, you know, you are representing somebody, you know, the person that you are and the person that you become honors your father and your family, the people that I become, or that that I was, you know, just like my kids when they grow up and who they are and that name on the back of their Jersey
0: represents who I am. And if you don't have that, hold the mirror up and, and represent yourself. So yeah. there, there's still a lot of people pushing blame and pointing fingers, out there oh this this program didn't do it for me or did you not do it for the program well my coach didn't
1: like me that's that's (laughs) my other favorite one and uh, i played with coaches that legitimately didn't like me (laughs) and i still played because i was the best fucking player and like i like i that's a hard one too especially for kids Uh, i don't feel like my coach likes me and it's easy as a parent to be like i don't care if your coach likes you or not go out there and bust your ass what coaches like is winners and people that are good and if a coach doesn't like somebody who's good I mean, yeah. have, you,
0: have you run into that? Uh, no, I mean, effort. Like, yeah. If you think at a moment in time you're the best person on the field and you stop going and giving everything, at that moment, yeah, I'm not going to like you at this moment. So I'll aim to provide some guidance yeah. to pull the best out of you. Well, because- but if you start talking back at me, then we're going to have some problems.
1: Yeah. Well, you you want the kids to be the best version of themselves. Correct. And I think, um, I think sport's a great way for it. I think hardship and training and weights and, you know, like, uh, like I've told uh, people a million times on this podcast, everything good I learned in this world, I learned from my parents. I learned from the weight room, learned from playing football, learned from those interactions and adversity and, you know, overcoming uh, injuries and battling and fighting and, you know, like uh, losing and winning. I mean, all this stuff, man, it's, uh, it, it's, it's been a great teacher. And at the end of the day, if you can just put the habits together to be successful… And if you look at people, I mean, it, oh, just do a case study of the people that are most successful. The most successful people in the world are the people that consistently do what they're supposed to, you know, the, I mean, just the, uh, blindless dedication to doing the small things right every day. Like don't miss your training, eat your food, you know, like just be you know, consistent in who you are. And if you can add consistency, I think, uh, greatness is within striking distance. Cool. Boom. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. If you want more information on training programs, nutrition, or really anything, you can go to powerathletehq.com. And if you want to dial in on the training, just shoot us an email uh, info at powerathletehq.com. We'll respond. We'll help you get in the right place. And if you're looking to book a consult or do anything, and we are easy to get a hold of. If a coach needs a coach,
0: academy.powerathletehq.com.
1: And we'll take you on your journey. Happy to do it. So be well.
0: Mm -hmm. now it's time for you to empower your performance join us next week for our conversation with 531 legend jim wendler until next time bye